From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. Hello and welcome to the Diz Unplugged Roundtable Discussion Disneyland edition for the week of March 7, 2013. I'm your host, Tom Bell, and I'm joined by our Disneyland team, Nancy Johnson, Wayne Toygo, Mary Jo Mulata Willie, Michael Bowling, and Tony Spatel. In this segment, Wayne takes a look at the history of It's a Small World. Wayne? Well, we all know the song. Oh, please no. Most of us could sing it in our sleep. Some of us can even sing the version from another country. We hate it, we love it, but I dare say that no one other theme song is more recognizable than the one that plays over and over <laughs> and over again at the happiest cruise that ever sailed. And, of course, I'm talking about that ever-popular attraction, It's a Small World. We at Disneyland should be especially proud of It's a Small World because it's one of those truly classic attractions that not only first appeared at Disneyland itself – but also was one of those that Walt Disney was personally involved with. For those that have never been to a Disney park, It's a Small World is a boat ride attraction that travels indoors past scenes of children of various countries. Each scene depicts activities and aspects of the particular country. And all the while, the entire attraction is accompanied by the thematic Small World song. In addition to the original It's a Small World attraction in Disneyland, there is a Small World attraction in every Disney Parks and Resorts resorts location worldwide, including Disneyland Park in California, the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World, Florida, Tokyo Disneyland, Disneyland Paris, and Hong Kong Disneyland. Most people agree that this is a delightful attraction, and while it is the favorite of some, it is certainly high on everyone's list of definite must-dos for every visit to Disneyland. Small World played an important role in the early development of Disneyland. When Disneyland first opened, there were only a few specialized or unique attractions. There was the Jungle Cruise and the indoor attractions in Fantasyland, and you could ride the train or a small model car in Tomorrowland. But many of the attractions, like, say, the Dumbo Ride, were really just converted and fancied up carnival rides. Disney didn't have audio animatronics yet, and most of what we now call the e-ticket attractions didn't exist. But but as I've mentioned before, in 1964, that all changed. This is the year that Walt Disney was invited to participate in the New York World's Fair. Now, I've mentioned several other attractions that Disney created for the World's Fair, including Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln and the Carousel of Progress. And it was all the efforts for the World's Fair that helped Disney eventually envision audio animatronics for those attractions 
and that would eventually be brought to other Disneyland attractions, such as Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion. Disney was already working on the Lincoln attraction for the state of Illinois for the World's Fair. General Electric was sponsoring the work for the Carousel of Progress, and the Ford Motor Company was sponsor for the Magic Skyway, which was a ride-through attraction, and a remnant of that attraction can be seen today on the Disneyland Railroad when you go through the Grand Canyon and Primeval World dioramas. Disney was already pretty busy, and as I've mentioned, this caused most of the new development work within Disneyland to stop completely because Wed Enterprises, that's the name of Disney Imagineering back then, Wed was completely tied up working on the World's Fair. But even with all that activity, there was another attraction that Walt was called on to build for the New York World's Fair. The Pepsi-Cola Company was another sponsor of the fair. And back in the 60s, the UNICEF organization, that's the United Nations Children's Fund, they also wanted to participate and get their message out, which was to help and support the children of the world. Now, UNICEF is a charitable organization. They don't build attractions. And so they called on the Pepsi-Cola company to sponsor an attraction. Well, Pepsi bottles soft drinks. They don't build theme park attractions. So Pepsi and UNICEF approached Disney, who was already involved with all the other attractions for the fair, to build an attraction for them. Well, Disney had only been given a couple of years to create the other World's Fair attractions. Wed was already hard at work on those attractions when Pepsi approached Disney for their own attraction. At that point, they only had 11 months before the World's Fair opened. At first, they tossed around an idea for another Circle Vision 360 exhibit, which was already in operation at Disneyland, so that would have been fairly easy to implement. But then the idea of a boat ride attraction was pitched. This was a totally new concept. But there was a lot of concern about the about the amount of time, or really the lack thereof, to create this kind of an attraction. An Imagineer named Joe Fowler was in charge of a lot of the development for the World's Fair projects. He got the call for the Pepsi proposal... And he absolutely said no. (laughs) Wow. All the activity that they were already engaged in, there was no way they could take on another major project. But guess what? Walt heard about the idea. At that point, all they had was a series of sketches. And good old Walt, he loved the idea. He said they would take on the project and open it on time, and they did. On April 22, 1964, the New York World's Fair opened. The official guidebook to the New York World's Fair described the Pepsi UNICEF attraction as follows. (laughs) A salute to the children of the world. 
designed by Walt Disney, presents animated figures frolicking in miniature settings of many lands. Visitors are carried past the scenes in small boats. In an adjoining building, Pepsi sponsors exhibits by the U.S. Committee for the United Nations Children's Fund. Above the pavilion rises the 120-foot Tower of the Four Winds, a fanciful creation of colored shapes that dance and twist in the breeze, unquote. Well, the attraction was an instant success. Tickets were, are you ready for this, 95 cents for adults and 60 cents for children. And they sold... Highway robbery. (laughs) And they sold 10 million of them. Wow. All the proceeds were donated to UNICEF. The other World's Fair attractions had huge lines, but Small World, which also had big crowds, never seemed to have a long wait. This was mostly due to the rather large per-hour capacity of the continuous-running boats. Well, Disney recognized this and saw how this kind of moving vehicle could be used to great advantage within Disneyland. This concept, invented for It's a Small World, was utilized in future attractions. Pirates of the Caribbean had been under construction at Disneyland as a subterranean walkthrough. That design was scrapped, and instead a waterway was created so that similar boats could travel past scenes which were in motion and would appear different for each voyage. This was another idea which would be duplicated for other Disneyland attractions in the future. And all this came from the development of It's a Small World. The layout of the attraction area featured a large show building which housed the boat ride. In front of the building stood the Tower of the Four Winds, which was a 120-foot-tall kinetic structure designed by Imagineer Rolly Crump. The tower had many propellers and weather vanes and other moving parts and was a landmark at the World's Fair. Unfortunately, the tower wasn't saved after the fair closed. Imagineer Mary Blair was responsible for most of Small World's special and unique design and especially for the color styling. She had been the art director on several Disney animated features, including Cinderella, Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, and also worked on Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros. Walt liked her look, and so he wanted Mary Blair to be one of the designers of Small World. Like many Disneyland attractions, Scenes and characters were designed by Mark Davis, while his wife, Alice Davis, designed the costumes for the Small World dolls. Rolly Crump designed the toys and other supplemental figures in each scene. The animated dolls were designed and sculpted by Blaine Gibson. Walt was personally involved with Gibson's development of the doll's facial design. Perhaps one of the most notable portions of It's a Small World 
is the memorable song that plays throughout the attraction. At first, the attraction music was supposed to be the national anthems of all the countries represented throughout the attraction. The songs were supposed to be played all together, each individual anthem playing through speakers in that scene, and guests were supposed to hear that scene's music as their boat passed by. Well, the Imagineers mocked up a model of the attraction and got records of all the national anthems (laughs) and set up record players and little speakers in each section. And then they could sort of walk the path of the boats and see and hear what the attraction was supposed to be like. Well, the sounds were a mess as they all blended together into an indistinguishable blob of noise that just wasn't very appealing at all. Well, after that, it was time to bring in Walt's premier musical theme. (laughs) Walt showed the scale model of the attraction to his engineer songwriters, Robert and Richard Sherman, and told them, I need one song that can be easily translated into many languages and played as a round. The Sherman brothers wrote, It's a Small World After All. At first, the song was played as a slow ballad. You may have heard and seen videos of the Sherman brothers singing the song while they played piano accompaniment. There's a few of those out there. Walt wanted something a bit more cheerful, so the Sherman brothers sped up the song and turned it into a march. The vocals were provided by school choirs from England, Mexico, Rome, and Burbank, (laughs) and professional singers were heard in the finale. Apparently, the entire audio portion of the attraction was recorded in only two days. Wow. Wow. Well, Walt loved this. In fact, the attraction's original title was Children of the World. But Walt was so delighted with the final version of the Sherman Brothers song that he renamed the attraction It's a Small World. One of the most fascinating and endearing parts of the Small World attraction is the animations of the dolls themselves. Unlike the other realistic audio-animatronic characters that were being developed for Mr. Lincoln and the Carousel of Progress, the small world figures were amazingly simple. Most of the characters moved with small repeatable patterns back and forth or up and down. They might move their arms or shake their heads, but it was the old standard store window type animation. But some of the characters represented children singers, usually in groups of three, who were supposed to be singing the background theme song. Their mouths moved and were synchronized to the soundtrack. They would rock back and forth in time to the music, and every once in a while their eyes would quickly look down at the sheet music that each character was holding. It was beautifully simplistic. And for me, it's it's actually one of my favorite parts of the attraction. 
seeing those little mouths move and seeing them look down at the music to be sure they don't lose their place in the lyrics, well, who hasn't sung in a school choir and experienced exactly what those children represent? This, along with the unifying scenes of children at play all over the world, is the heart and soul of It's a Small World. When the World's Fair closed, the plan was to move all of Disney's attractions to Disneyland. Instead of the Tower of the Four Winds, there would be a large three-dimensional facade. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, a facade is a false face or a false front of a building or structure. A facade is usually used to hide or decorate a building. In this case, it was designed to hide the Small World show building. The facade at Small World has stylized cut-out turrets and towers and minarets, which look similar to world landmarks, such as the Eiffel Tower and the Leaning Tower of Pisa. The facade was designed by Raleigh Crump, who mimicked Mary Blair's styling. Walt Disney asked Raleigh, to also design a large 30-foot clock, which would be the central feature of the exterior with a smiling face that rocks back and forth to a ticking sound. Every 15 minutes, a parade of wooden dolls in native costumes would move out from beneath the clock to an instrumental version of the It's a Small World song. The clock then displays the current time and drums and trumpets and gongs sound to announce the time. The whole thing is somewhat similar to an oversized cuckoo clock. I can't tell you how many pictures have been taken of the clock and the parade of children. The original exterior was all white with gold and silver trim. Over the years, it was repainted several times. In later years... It was painted in shades of blue and then again in pink and white with pastel accents. These days, the exterior is white with gold trim, similar to what it was back in 1966. They had some trouble with colors on white, which would fade in the California sun. And now, the gold on the smiling clock face is done entirely in real gold leaf. All the exterior grounds of It's a Small World are wonderfully created topiary animals. These are always a treat, and Disney goes through some extensive gardening to grow and maintain all the topiary sculptures. I was told on one of the tours that Disney has duplicates of each topiary animal in case one of the on-stage animals is damaged or needs some extra repair. The animals change from time to time, and right now I've spotted a lion, a moose, a rhinoceros, a sea serpent, and a few other creatures. The topiary animals around It's a Small World are another unique feature that not only make the attraction special, but it's the kind of detail that make Disneyland the magical place that it is. 
Over the years, there have been several improvements and additions to the Small World Show. In 1997, Disneyland created what is now known as an overlay for the Christmas season. Disney Imagineers took each scene and created new costumes for the characters, new sets, and new set pieces and props, new holiday lighting both inside the attraction and all over the external structure and surrounding grounds. They even came up with a marvelous new soundtrack, which not only combined portions of the popular holiday carols, but incorporated them into the original Small World theme song in perfect harmony and tempo. And when it was all ready, Disneyland opened It's a Small World Holiday. The transformation was an overwhelming success and continues every year right through the present. In fact, Small World Holiday is so popular that the lines to the attraction far exceed those of the regular regular operating season. Small World Holiday, along with Haunted Mansion Holiday, are two of the biggest holiday attractions at the Disneyland Resort. In 2005, another enhancement was added to It's a Small World for the holiday season. This time, the exterior facade was used as a screen, and moving and changing images were projected onto the various surfaces to produce a multimedia-style holiday show. A special soundtrack accompanies the show, which plays right after the small world clock announces the time. Then in 2008... Small World went under a major refurbishment and was closed for most of the year. During that time, the boats were replaced with newer models and the exterior got a facelift. But the inside of the attraction, the Imagineers added a few dozen specialized Disney characters from some of the recent popular Disney films and some of the rooms were enhanced or changed altogether to fit these new characters. The new characters were inspired by the original Mary Blair dolls, although there has been some considerable debate as to whether that was actually accomplished. While the new Disney characters make Small World fit more into the overall Disney theme, Many feel that Small World was already unique and that these new characters merely distract from the original concept and seem to have been added more for marketing and promotional reasons rather than to enhance the attraction itself. For many years, the nightly fireworks show has been enhanced with projections on the Small World facade. And in 2011, that concept was taken a step further with the Magic Memories and You show, which also played at night and projected images and patterns on the Small World facade and combined clips from Disney features along with photographs which were supposed to have been taken that day by Disney PhotoPass photographers. I expect that we will continue to see Small World and its exterior structure utilized for special shows in the future. 
it's sometimes not so easy to describe why It's a Small World is such a classic Disneyland attraction or why it's so popular to so many people. The animations aren't that spectacular. The theme song is fairly simple. The scenes don't really tell a story. And the whole ride is obviously contained inside a large building. And yet, it's the combination of all these things and, shall I say it, the magical way that Small World comes together that makes the entire experience unique, endearing, and so very special for everyone that takes the happiest cruise that ever sailed. The first time I met Imagineer Roly Crump, we talked about Small World, and he told me a couple of amusing stories. One was the facade that Wayne talked about that we all know. When he, he built the model, he and his team, and when they were doing the presentation to Walt and everyone, they, um, they were in the meeting room, and Walt's secretary, when she served the coffee, always put out pastries and the coffee cups in the saucers with little doilies under all of them. Well, when they were looking at the facade before the meeting started, Rolly was in there and he and his team, they thought it maybe looked, it, it looked still a little plain and they took some of the doilies and just sort of started putting them on it just for fun on the facade, and they were just laughing about it and all that. Well, then Walt zooms into the room, and the, he starts looking at the facade, and they start talking about it. They had fully intended to remove those doilies before the meeting started, and Walt loved it. He loved the whole thing, and the model got whisked out in, <laughs> in to be given over for building, and they were, they were horrified. And they never got the model back in order oh, wow. to remove the doilies. And that's why there are those spinning, uh, you know, the spinning designs on Small World that look, when you look at them, they're doilies. And, um, and that's how those got on there. That's crazy. Isn't it? Cause, yeah. Because he wanted more kinetics, because Raleigh Crump's specialty, Raleigh Crump's specialty was kinetics and mobile mobiles and, and things like that. The other thing is, when I was a boy, I was really fascinated by the Tower of the Four Winds. I had seen photos of it, and the fact that when he designed it, every moving kine- kinetic was supposed to represent a different animal. And I was always disappointed when it didn't get brought over from New York. And so when I asked him about it, he said, first of all, the thing was enormous. Um, he said it was 120 feet tall. Wow. So they knew they were going to have sight lines. And But Walt really wanted this tower in Disneyland. He thought it was beautiful. So they, in order to ta- sort of talk him out of it, they, when they were in Disneyland, they put out um, cement posts in the park to show these were where the footings would be for the tower. Well, the footing stretched from in front of Small World. Another footing was in near where um, Alice in Wonderland attraction is. That's how big this thing was. And when Walt saw that, he was stunned. And then when Joe Fowler told him, this is how much it's going to cost to dismantle it and bring it to Disneyland, Walt told them what they could do with the tower. Now, I can't repeat it. <laughs> and so the the tower is at the bottom of the river in New York. That's where it was discarded. Wow. 
you can't help but feel joyful when you come out. And it makes you remember through the innocent songs of children that it's a world of laughter, a world of tears. It's a world of hope and a world of fears. There's so much that we can share that it's time we're aware. It's a small world after all. Now it's going to be in my head. Thanks, Wayne. <laughs> it's a small you know, world. After- oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Thank you, Wayne. That is going to do it for this segment of the Diz Unplugged. Be sure to catch our other Disneyland shows this week. And, of course, we'll be back again with you next week. Until then, remember, Disneyland is always more magical when it's shared. Thanks for listening. 